This morning, I want to conclude with a study that we have been doing over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, we've been doing a study on uh, when, where, how, and why. And this morning, I want us to conclude with perhaps the most important of those questions, the why. Why did Christ come? When we talked about uh, each one of those, when we talked about where, uh, we emphasized where the spotless, perfect Lamb of God uh, was born. We know he was born in Bethlehem, but exactly where in Bethlehem? And why, would the, why did the angels tell the shepherds, you'll find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger? Uh, why would that be a sign to them? Well, these priestly uh, shepherds, they understood the ramification of wrapped in swaddling clothes and that they would find him at one of the flock towers at Migdal Edar, uh, one of the flock towers where the shepherds would bring the, the sheep, uh, the lambs in that were destined to be part of the temple sacrifice. They had to be spotless. Uh, they could be without blemish. So the shepherds would wrap them in swaddling uh, cloths in order to protect them. Uh, so when we study where, uh, just the, the truth of, of that, of who Christ is, uh, becomes so paramount. When we talk about when Christ came, what we're emphasizing is the manifest presence of God. When he says that he will dwell among you, uh, tabernacle is that word uh, there in, in John chapter 1. And so Christ came to tabernacle, so it was fitting that, that his birth would be tied to the Feast of Tabernacles that take, takes place in the last part of September, the first part uh, of October, uh, and how that fits Scripture, how that fits typology, how that shows us that the Bible is, is so accurate and precise in how it describes our Savior. Uh, we know that based on the study of John the Baptist and, and his conception and when he was born to Zacharias and to uh, Elizabeth, that the miracle was the conception of, of Mary by the Holy Spirit. That more than likely, I would say probably, took place based on the timeline that, that we have in the Scripture, that that was around December the twenty. The 25th, so that's the time we celebrate Christmas. So the where is important, the when is important, the how through the virgin birth uh, emphasizes how absolutely necessary it was that Christ be born uh, of a virgin. If he were not born of a virgin, then there would be no payment of sin. He would not be the perfect spotless Lamb of God. We have no eternal life if that uh, is the case if he were not born of a virgin. The cross is meaningless if Christ was not born of a virgin. The empty tomb is powerless if Christ was not born of a virgin. This morning, we're going to talk about why Christ came. Absolutely, incredibly important that each and every one of us understand why Christ came, and we're going to get right to the point. The reason Christ came is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why did Christ come? He came because God loves you, God loves me, and he wanted to purchase our redemption. He wanted to, to save us. 
John 3.16 tells us God loves us. Romans 5.8 says, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for us to love him. God didn't wait until, well, we can just get our lives together. We can, we can just kind of get our act together. Folks, if you're waiting until you get your act together, you'll never have your act together. Christ came into the world according to Luke 19.10, not to save those who are trying to do their best to get their act together. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Amen? So why did he come? He came because he loves you. He came because he desires to, to save you. He came in order, just like at the very beginning. In Genesis, we find that God created man in order to have fellowship with man. He created man in order to have a relationship with his creation. I've got good news for you. Christ came in order that God might have a relationship with his new creation. You are the, re, the new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. What we must understand about salvation and what we teach here is salvation is so much more than just the forgiveness of your sins. Actually, that is small in comparison to what God actually does in your life as He declares you righteous and makes you a new creation. The moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, you become a new creation. Your life is changed forever. You become that which God desires for you to be in order for Him to have a relationship with you. What a plan of salvation that is. It's not just that God says, I'm going to pardon you because I like you so much. It's not even because God pardons you because he loves you so much. What salvation is, is God taking upon himself your sin, your wickedness, paying the debt you owed, making you new, giving you his righteousness, making you a new creature, as you stand in Christ. Folks, that's love. That's caring. That's how God feels about each and every one of us. And again, Luke 19.10 tells us that Christ came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. How many of you were lost? Then guess what? Christ came into the world to save you. Christ came into the world because God loves you. And I say this all the time, and I sincerely meant it. What God's Word tells us concerning God's love and God's desire to save you, you've got to take it personally. You've got to take it personally because He means it personally. The only way for God to accomplish that salvation, that saving of the lost, was exactly the way God did it. He had to be born of a virgin. Jesus of Nazareth had to be born of a virgin. He had to be God incarnate. He had to be sinless. He had to be willing to obey the Father because He's the last Adam. 
Remember, the first Adam didn't obey the Father. In the garden, God had given the first Adam instructions. Don't do this. But what did Adam do? He rebelled. He disobeyed God. You know what I find interesting about that? Here was Adam who walked with God in the cool of the evening, who had that perfect relationship, that, that relationship and in innocency with his creator. And in the garden, can you imagine how beautiful the garden, how perfect the garden, why it was literally paradise. So here was Adam with all this paradise surrounding him. Here was Adam in the, in the garden with a beautiful wife, with a great job to name all the different critters and, and, and name all these animals. And he still rebelled against God. Here was the last Adam, what 1 Corinthians 15 calls Christ. He's the last Adam. He comes and he obeys the will of the Father. And he didn't, he wasn't tempted in the garden. He was tempted in the wilderness. What a contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam. And this last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate, was willing to do the will of the Father so that you and I might have that perfect relationship that God desires for us to have. That's why Christ came. For you and I to be new creations in Christ. So first of all, Christ came because He loves you. He wants to save you. The second reason Christ came, I'm going to give you three reasons. I didn't mention that, but three reasons today. The second reason Christ came is in order to fulfill Scripture. The second reason Christ came the way He did was to make sure you understood that God's plans, God's purpose, God's promises will be carried out and you can trust it to be consistent and to be true and to be accurate. Christ came according to the Scriptures. See, if you want to prove something, if you want to verify something, if you want to show something is true, what do you do? You, you make sure it is carried out. You make sure that here's what I said I'm going to do, and here's what I've done. And folks, the truth of that gives us reason to believe and not doubt what God's Word says. The consistency of the message, the theme of the message from Genesis to Revelation, it all shows that God is a faithful God, that God is a God who loves each and every one of us, and that it gives credence, it gives validity to what His Word says He's going to do. So you can trust it. You can trust God's Word. All the prophecies were fulfilled concerning Christ's coming completely. Not a single one was not fulfilled in Christ. I had someone say, well, you really can't prove that it happened the way the Bible says. I mean, aren't those just all fables? And my answer to them is, of course not. There's there's not a fable here. It is true. 
it is accurate. Uh, then I got to thinking about that. When you stop and think about it, you, you can't really prove anything from history, can you? You weren't there. I mean, prior to you being alive, you can't really prove anything. How many of you here can prove that George Washington crossed the Delaware? The only reason you believe he crossed the Delaware, you can't even prove that George Washington was the first president of the United States. You can't prove it. Well, yeah, but it's in our history books. Yeah, but what God says is in the history book. I believe God's word. Well, Columbus didn't discover America. He didn't sail the ocean blue in 1492. I can't prove it, but I can go to the history books, and there were witnesses, there are people who will verify that. You can't prove that the Revolutionary War happened. You have to take the word of those who have written it down historically. You have to, you have to believe what they, they've said. We accept by faith that George Washington crossed the Delaware. We accept by faith that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president. You can't prove it. Let me tell you where the witnesses are that, were, that are credible. They're those that were willing to lay their life down for what this book teaches and tells us about who Christ is. So Christ came the way he did and to show that the Word of God is true and accurate and that you can believe that part of it and if you can believe that historical part of it and you see God being faithful to His Word, then you can believe the, all the other parts of it that says He's coming again, that He's going to rule and reign, that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. When He says that one of these days we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, just as surely as He came the first time, just as surely as those promises were fulfilled, these other promises are going to be fulfilled, and we can rejoice in that. I've been watching, watching a, uh, a series, one of the channels, on uh, famous conquering generals. It's all historic, and, and it's really fascinating. And they talk about uh, Alexander the Great. They talk about uh, Julius Caesar. And they talk about Napoleon Bonaparte. And I haven't, that's as far as I've gotten so far in the series. But it really is fascinating. And they present it as fact. And everybody goes, wow, we didn't know that. Glad we know that now. Oh, how do they know that it's fact? They know it's fact because this is how the writers, the historians, have declared it to be. And as you're watching it, you, you, they have these little graphs and these little pictures, and, and they'll have this little army coming over this hill and this little army uh, all, uh, uh, what's the word for it, animated, you know, and it shows the clashes and it shows this line coming against these soldiers, and, it, and it, it, it's just, and I'm thinking, how do they know that? How do they know that? Or how do I know they're not just pulling my leg? But by faith I accept, hey, I, I believe history. And it really is fascinating. But those historians pale in comparison to the one who is the Word of God and those holy men that God inspired in order to write 
these pages. And so Christ's coming was to show you that it is accurate, it is true. This is the way he said it was going to happen, and this is the way that it happened. It, it, it adds credence, it adds validity to his word. Um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We went over this in Sunday school, and we're not going to go into as much detail now uh, as we did in Sunday school over this, but one of the most fascinating stories that I think proves the point that I was just trying to make historically, uh, how Christ fulfilled. And w when you read Matthew chapter 2, it's the story of the wise men. Uh, again, we have no idea how many wise men there, there were, just like Denny said. Uh, people say, we three kings of Orient, uh, because there was three gifts, and those three gifts actually portray the, uh, the offices of Christ, his, his prophet, priest, and king, whether it be the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, all representing the offices that Christ Jesus was going to, to hold and ful fulfill. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, and what we found out down in Sunday school was that Herod was not a legitimate king of Israel. He was not even Jewish. He had no business being the king. That kind of shows you the condition that Israel was in. He was a Roman puppet. He was placed there by the uh, Roman emperor. Uh, Herod should not have been the king. He was not even Jewish. In the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. We learned that these were Jews who had been part of the captivity. Uh, their great-great-great-grandfathers had been part of the captivity. They didn't return to Judah. And they were there, but these were Jewish men. The Gentiles, according to Scripture, uh, they were separated from God. They were alienated from God, from the commonwealth of Israel. Gentiles wouldn't have said, we've seen his star. They didn't know anything about the star. But we know from Luke 24 that the star uh, that the wise men followed was that star that, that Balaam had prophesied they were they were going to see, and the star that Jeremiah 23 said that was going to be there, they knew the scripture, they were astronomers, they saw this star, and it was not a constellation, folks. It was a miraculous miracle. It was a miracle of God. It was the Lord's star, and it shone for them to know that this is where the Christ child is. So anyway, that should have been at Sunday school, you would have learned all this. So these wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? If you were here Sunday, uh, last Thursday night, we talked about how the first question in the Old Testament is what? Adam, where are you? God saying, Adam, where are you? Really indicating Adam's separation from God. God knew where Adam was. Adam, where are you? Before they had that perfect relationship that question, what that question is now indicating is there is a separation. They no longer have that perfect relationship. That first question indicates that man is separated from that perfect relationship with God. That's the first question in the so-called Old Testament. In the so-called New Testament, the first question is here in Matthew 2. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? The first question indicates that man is separated 
The second question, or the first question in the New Testament, indicates that the Savior's been born, that the one that God had promised is alive. He's here among us. We can worship Him. I think that is a remarkable truth that, that we all grasp, that we cling to. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Again, this shows you the con spiritual condition of Israel. They should have been excited. They should have been joyous. They should have said, finally, the promised one, the desire of all nations has come. That's what their attitude should have been. But instead, their attitude was troubled. If you'd been in Sunday school, we went into that. See what you're missing when you don't come to Sunday school? He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is written by the prophet. And, and they, they quote Micah, the prophet, talking about Bethlehem. Herod then asked him about, where, when did you see the star? And they say, about two years ago. And so all of this is an indication of, of God's will and purpose. Uh, God said there was going to be the slaughter of the innocent, uh, that, that Christ was going to flee into Egypt. All of these things God had prophesied, and we find as we study Matthew 2, they're taking place. So the point is, this is accurate because during this time, had these things not been true, because this was probably written uh, maybe 15, maybe 20 years after the event itself, so by people who were there, by the, the people who, these scribes, these, these Pharisees, uh, these people could have said, wait a minute. This didn't happen this way. Wait, what, what are you saying? That's just, that, that didn't happen that way. They could have refuted it. See, and that's the neat thing about all the Scripture. As you study the Scriptures, there were people alive. The resurrection of Christ has probably more witnesses of, than any event in the history of mankind. And there are those that were saying, I'm willing to lay my life down for the truth of what, this, what happened here. All the people that witnessed the resurrected Christ. There were people that said, what, a resurrection? No, the, the, you're saying what? You're teaching what? Well, that didn't, I was there, I know. These folks here could have said, you know, Herod was, I was related to Herod when he was there, and, and why, uh, he, that didn't happen. See, no one ever refutes it. Historically, we can trust it. So the reason Christ came was to make sure we know that he loves us. The reason he came is to make sure that we know we can trust his word to be accurate. We can depend on his word to be true. So even here in, in all of these Christmas stories, I mean to be born of a virgin, it, it, nobody refuted that. Joseph certainly didn't refute it. He accepted it. Do you realize that Mary's, by law, 
What should have happened to Mary? She should have been stoned to be found with child. No wonder she was afraid. No wonder that the angel had to come to Joseph in a dream and go, what she is pregnant by is of the Holy Spirit. It's okay to marry her. Because he was going to put her away secretly, privately. Under the law, she should have been taken out under the Jewish law and stoned. See, it, it just happened the way God wanted it to happen. So Christ came so that you would know that God loves you. Christ came in order for you to know that his word is true. You can trust it. And the third reason Christ came, that sort of goes along with the first reason, is so that God could be just and the justifier. That he could be just and the justifier. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 26. Romans 3, verse 26. Well, let's start with verse start with verse 23. Romans 3:23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Here we go, verse 26. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus Christ. In Jesus. See, God is just. Make, take no doubt. God is just. Do you realize, and I hope you do, do you realize that you can't justify the guilty and still desire to be just? You understand that, right? For God to be just, you can't justify the guilty. If you're just, the guilty are going to receive their due. To justify the guilty, that's not being just. God's desire is to be just and the justifier of who? Those who believe in Jesus Christ. See, we need to, we need to understand that because God is just, it should cause every man to tremble, and woman to, women to, to tremble at the thought of God being just when we consider our guilt. If somebody is guilty of a crime, what do we want to happen? We want them to be held just. We want justice to prevail. We want punishment for those who are guilty. If justice is going to be served, but how can you be both? Either you're one or the other, but you can't be both unless you do it the way God did it where God himself, God incarnate, steps off of his throne, is born of a virgin, the perfect Lamb of God, who is going to die in your place. God's word tells us 
For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So what God demands, God became. He became that sacrifice. It was His perfect blood. It was Him who was perfect died in our place. So on the basis of the only begotten Son, virgin born, on the basis of the fact that He was the only one qualified to pay my debt, He was the only one qualified to die in my, in my place, justifying me, declaring me righteous when I know that I'm not, declaring me righteous when I know that I'm not, but He declares me righteous in Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. And that is the whole issue as we preach salvation, as I mentioned in Sunday school. See what you're missing when you're not in Sunday school? It's not about just the forgiveness of sins. It is about your righteous standing in Christ. It's about the change that God brings about as He quickens you. He makes you alive in Christ. Your whole standing before God changes. Salvation is not just saying, okay, God, thank you for giving me of my sins. Yes, your sins have been forgiven. But you've been made a whole new creation. Your standing before God changes because you are in Christ. That's how He can be just because your sins have been paid for. Your sins have been dealt with. And Christ did it on the cross. As they nailed those nails into his hands, that baby that was born in the manger became the sacrificial lamb on Calvary's cross, dying for my sin and your sin. It's because of Christ, his virgin birth, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, that God the Father can be just, that he became sin for us, even though he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Denny mentioned earlier that the Son of God became the Son of Man in order for the sons of men to become the sons of God. Wow. Folks, I can't begin to express the deepness, the depth of that statement and what it explains about God's love. Don't tell me that this season's not worth celebrating. Of course, then it's worth celebrating again tomorrow and the next day. Just as we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ every day, or we should, we celebrate His resurrection every day, or we should. We should celebrate the newness of life that we have in Him every single day. We rejoice over what He accomplished on our behalf. So when the world briefly focuses in on this baby in a manger, Let's make sure that their focus just widens, that we just bring it into full view, that people can understand exactly what that Christ child meant when he came to seek that which was lost. That includes you and me.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how thankful we are that you love us. We're thankful for what your word tells us about your love. We're thankful for what your word shows us about your love. Father, we praise your name for that truth. Father, may we boldly proclaim it all the days of our lives. And Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for offering salvation to all who believe. And I pray this morning that every single person here in this church building knows you as their Savior. And Father, they know because your word says so that if they were to die this very moment, that heaven is their home, that they will spend eternity with you. Father, may they understand that it's not because of their good deeds and of their, their works, but because of who they are in Christ and that salvation they, they have and enjoy and cherish in Christ. Father, may we ever be mindful of that truth. And Father, as we close our service this morning, Father, may you be glorified by everything we say and everything we do. May you be glorified by our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.